Hi everyone, this is Kayla, currently in the midst of editing this episode. I figured I should uh, step in to provide a content warning. Uh, this book does talk about cannibalism in detail, but there's more to it than that. Uh, we also discuss potential rape, sex trafficking, as well as dead dogs and dead puppies. So if any of that even makes you remotely uncomfortable, please feel free to skip this episode. If you're okay with us discussing this, then uh, continue on with the show. I've always believed that in our capitalist consumer society, we devour each other. We phagocyte each other in many ways and in varying degrees. We devour each other because we are generally blind to our kinship with others. When faced with their suffering, we look the other way. Augustina Basterica. Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we look past the skin, deep beneath the flesh, to see and possibly taste the true nature of a human soul. I am one of your hosts, Gayla King. I'm joined by my other two wonderful co-hosts, Sade. Hello. I'm so sorry I chose this book. Please don't take away my book choosing privileges. <laughs> <laughs> and our other co-host, David King. The human being is the cause of all evil in this world. We are our own virus. So we read a depressing book. <laughs> yes. I, it's a, I think it's just such a huge jump from last month where we yeah. read this like cutesy kid halloween book that talks about trick-or-treating is very fantastical to boom cannibalism is legal here's how the full detail of how we do that how we kill people but are they people or are they just head oh boy uh for those who don't know (laughs) if you if you didn't read the title uh we just read tender as the flesh by augustina basterica so impressions what did you guys think uh, or actually no uh summary i forgot we should do a do summary. I do summary first okay i will i will tackle the summary this time uh i wrote some loose notes for the summary uh because i read i finished the book on time like two weeks in advance for once so i'm gonna rely on my notes they're a little out of order but i got this it's because i chose the book Alright, I was the one who was like pitched it to the group, so I, I figured I should do this. Um, so Tender is the Flesh is I liked it, but it is an uncomfortable story where society has been forced to normalize cannibalism and then throw in some dubious consent scenes and animal cruelty. And uh we get to see all that through the lead character, Marcos. So essentially the setting is there is this terrible and maybe questionable virus that has somehow spread to all animal life, including livestock and pets, uh, so that human the human race can no longer eat animal meat uh, or risk getting the virus and dying. And at the start of the book, we're essentially uh, already introduced or introduced to this world that has already shifted away from eating animal meat and has established this whole industry of selling and consuming uh, human flesh from, like, breeding and raising human cattle, which are called heads, or or product, or it's a variety of things, so, you, so it's never being called what it is. Um, special meat. Special meat, yes. So we see, we get this really in-depth look of just this world through the character Marcos, And Marcos, prior to this transition, worked at his father's meat processing plant. Um, And Marcos's father, who could not handle the transition into this new terrible reality, has broken down mentally. Um, And we learn that Marcos has sold the the plant, um, but does still work there so that he can pay for his father's medical expenses, because his father is now put away in a a specialized home. Uh, And so we get a good look at the place where Marcos works at uh, during the scene where he is kind of giving this tour to two potential hires um, from how the the heads, the live heads are brought in 
and they're like left to calm down for a day because like transportation is really stressful for them. And if you stress the meat out before you kill it, it changes the taste and you don't want that. Yay. Um, <laughs> and then like how they're stunned before they're killed. And then even into detail how like their organs and different pieces are like separated and whatnot for packaging and such. Um, and we learn that Marcos doesn't really care for the work, but it's work that he knows how to do and can do well, and it's really his only option to make sure that his father's needs are met. Because um, he does, because he has a sister who's definitely not going to help him, but we'll get to her in a second. So my notes are a little out of order, because I kind of want to cover the different kind of places that we see in the book first, because there's a tannery uh, that Marcos visits where we just learn about this business where uh, this leather is now made from human skin, and there's a very creepy, uncomfortable owner who's very obsessed about having fine quality skin for his product. Um, we also meet a butcher who Marcos is on really good terms with, I'm personally close with, and we kind of, through her... Uh, learn in learning about her and how she was like the first butcher to sell special meat in her area. We kind of see like the gradual process of how people became more accepting and kind of more okay with uh, buying human flesh for to consume. And like some interesting details of like how certain cuts of meat, the names for cuts of like beef or pork, carried over, but then other things, you kind of have a special name because you again don't want to call it for what it is there's a breeding facility where we learn that heads are genetically modified to grow faster and then that there are special heads that are grown naturally so that they age at a natural process and those are as fine extra delicious quality and extra expensive and then uh the guy who runs that facility is called the gringo and he gifts marcos at one point a female head that he doesn't want who is of this the natural grown no gmo uh, <laughs> head um and he wants nothing to do with her but we'll come back to that because um, then there's also a hunting reserve uh that marcos has to visit at one point where the essentially the owner there buys uh heads to release on the reserve where then people can then hunt and eat them and we learned that they're uh, the reserve has this uh, new awesome feature where if, hey, are you a celebrity in debt? Do you want all your debt paid off for you? Then you can go and hide in this reserve for a specific amount of time, I guess, depending on how much money you owe. And if you survive, then they'll pay off your debt. But if you don't, if someone catches you like this musician that happens to be captured and eaten while Marcos is visiting, uh, that sucks. That was an interesting concept, though. And then finally, there was this medical lab for, like, uh, research with this doctor that Marco seemed to especially hate, where just uh, medical experiments are done on heads, like, strapping them to a chair and forcing concussions on them like you would experience in a car accident over and over and over again until they die. Essentially, just whatever you imagine would be deemed cruel and inhumane is now okay here, because they're just heads. Just product. So that's essentially like half the book is just detailing all these different kinds of infrastructure that deal with selling and the consumption of human meat and also just like the kind of people it has spawned to like manage those systems. So like that all was like really interesting to me. Not because I think it's, oh, that's cool. Well, okay, it's kind of cool. I don't know. Just the when you look into like the depths of like how awful humans can be, that always has fascinated me. So that was a really interesting part of the book. And then I also really liked the other half, the narrative, like just the personal struggle that is Marcos's life. So like we learned his father is now a shell of a man withering away in a home. Marcos is struggling. He's at this job he doesn't want to be at, paying for those medical expensive. We learned that his wife, Cecilia, uh, is currently living away from home with her mother uh, to cope with the loss of their child, Leo, that they had struggled for years to have a son of their own. And by some miracle, they were able to have one. And then the child dies, and it's left them both both very devastated. There's also Marcos's sister that we meet a few times, and she has like two teenage kids that are just creepy teenagers, and they have a very forced relationship where she's kind of constantly always pestering him. She's all about her image and, like, not the most uh, doting daughter. Like, she won't take her kids to go visit uh, her father. So there's there's that. And then we also have the uh, female head that Marcos was gifted, who at first he wants, like, nothing to do with, does the bare minimum of just, like, letting her sleep in the barn and leaving her food. And so, like, among all these struggles in just life, I guess. 
Marcos has uh, been visiting this rundown zoo, this abandoned zoo, and because they can't, we can't have zoo animals, we can't have pets anymore, it's, it's abandoned. But it's a place where his father used to take him when he was young, after the death of his mother. And there's, a, there's at first, a really cute scene with some puppies, because despite the risk of the virus, he's like, oh my god, puppies. Because, oh my god, puppies. Um, but then he almost gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> but then he almost gets killed by a uh, wild pack of dogs. And then later, there's another upsetting scene where those puppies are killed by dumb teenagers. And then after the death of his father, Marcos returns to the zoo and scatters the ashes there in the aviary. He walks out on on the funeral service that his sister was hosting because it was more about her than it was about their father. And I don't remember where exactly in all that that he impregnates the female head that he's keeping. Um, but when that happens and he realizes that she's pregnant, he kind of starts to obsess about her, thinking about her and the baby, unable to, like, focus on work. And I have thoughts about that, but we'll get to it. But then after the death of his father, because it was really the only thing holding him to work, he's talking about quitting his job, but he goes on leave for a little bit. And there's this incident where a truck that was carrying live heads is overturned by scavengers, and scavengers, I guess, are like outcast homeless and just like they they are on the outside of society and they just kind of like take meat wherever they can and then when marcos gets home from having to deal with that incident a bit he has realized that the female head who he named jasmine has gone into labor and there is a complication the child is going to probably die so he calls his wife who has been away this whole time still with staying with his with her mother uh, he calls on his wife because she used to be a nurse to come help save the baby. And they do save, they do manage to save the baby. Uh, and unfortunately for Jasmine the head, they uh, decide to keep the baby and kill her. But now they have a baby again. The end. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but like, yeah, this story is really dark. In all honesty, it gave me the same a similar sort of vibe that I sort of felt when reading other dystopian novels like Brave New World, 1984. This is one of the few books that I've read that actually feels like I'm reading one of those types of books. Um, I, like, I've read a bunch of dystopian novels. They've never felt like that. This is probably the closest. Mm -hmm. In one sense, it's like, it's very well written. There's a lot of good imagery in it. I probably will never read this book ever again. Because it is as dark and depressing. Mm -hmm. It's not a feel-good book. It's a maybe a book you you want to read when you kind of want to get lost in thought and just kind of like, mm, I don't know. You have to be in a certain mood for this book, but it's definitely not one that I think most people would come back to. Yeah, I think the best way to describe the type of mood you need to be in is kind of like if the similar sort of mood in that you need to be in to watch a David Lynch film. I think it's something like that. Just know, mm -hmm. know what you're getting into. David, what do you think of this novel? I, I know what you think, but... I want to first and foremost thank Sade for giving such a good summary, honestly. That was really good. I would, better than what I would have done. Mine my summary basically would have been um, literally everyone sucks and the world is terrible. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and capitalism once again proves that it's the worst thing ever. Because really, this is all a big commentary about capitalism. <laughs> And I, I read uh, interviews with Augustina um, Basterica. That's why I began with a quote from her. She's very well-spoken and she completely admitted, she's like, no, this is commentary on uh, capitalist consumerist society. Because a lot of people have addressed it like, oh, is this a vegan manifesto? Are you trying to convince people to be vegan? And she says, absolutely not. She herself is vegan, but she doesn't want to convince people to do things because she sees fanaticism as another form of violence. That At least that's her words. Mm -hmm. No, that, that makes sense, too. And, like, lots of different kinds of fanaticism are explored in this. And, like, again, I, I think that some people, I don't know if they would have been surprised by the ending. It did not surprise me at all. No, not at all. Because the way Marcos has to, like, justify everything that goes on, I saw a mile away. He's like, oh, he's using her. Even though he, he seems obsessed with her, it's really more about the baby. The baby that he lost and the baby he could have again uh, through her. And that last line where he just says she had the human look of a domesticated animal. I was like, yeah, I, I knew that she was just a means to an end for them. Just further proving that literally everybody in this book is terrible. And that means everyone is equally terrible. So I can't really judge too harshly. But yeah, it sucks. 
I mean, the book doesn't suck. It's great. It's really well written. It's powerful. It's got a lot going for it. The themes are pretty deep. It cooks you in a really terrible way. And I think I was really struggling with it and being really abhorred by it up until the point where it got to them actually technically breaking down the process of, you know, butchering humans in the um, slaughterhouse. Everything is presented so clinically, I, almost without realizing something turned over in my head. I'm like, it stopped being gross. I'm like, oh no, this is exactly what they're trying to do. That was chilling to me that I was just like, suddenly it doesn't bother me as much anymore, like reading about it. And I don't know if it was just because I turned my brain off or if it was because of the clinical language that was used that suddenly dehumanized everything about it, but it worked. And that was really chilling to me in a good way. That being said, I did not like this. And I think, I think it's great. I think it's well done. I think it's, it's not for any, it's not for any objective reason, really. Well, I guess it is. It's purely or subjective, I guess. I don't know my brain. Uh, but I uh, know I, I don't regret well, maybe I kind of do regret having read it. I don't know how I feel yet. It's not not for me. I don't want to read something that depressing again. We all agree it's a very well-written book. But it's definitely not for everyone. Absolutely. Like, this is absolutely a well-written book. This is absolutely a book that tells its story very well and does what it sets out to do. This but book it's... was actual work to read for me. That's, the, that's all I'll say. There were several times I could have been, I would be perfectly happy putting this down and not reading more of it. But I knew I had to keep reading it for the show. I had that feeling. That's not a knock against the author. That's not a knock against the writing. It's just a knock against that I don't like these kind of things. Honestly, I think that's the only thing that isn't, not even a knock against it. I think the only people who should read it should have that sort of taste for it. It's kind of like, I would not recommend it. it. Again, this is why I keep comparing it to a David Lynch film. I would not recommend David Lynch films to everybody. Like there are some people I'd be like, no, you'd hate this. Cause yeah. sometimes they can get very depressing or very confusing. They're very well-made films and I enjoy them, but they're not for everybody. And I know there's some people who will watch this and say, this sucks. Why did you make me watch this? I mm -hmm. don't understand what's going on. In this one book, that you can understand perfectly what's going on. Yeah. But it is definitely a taste thing. Ironically enough, it is a taste thing. <laughs> yeah. I So I was listening to the, the audiobook, um, which is very beautifully read. But uh, for some somehow... Every time I, because I listened to it in, in larger chunks when I was like usually making lunch uh, for like the work day, for the next like, for the work week. And every time I happened to be like cutting meat or I was like deboning chicken thighs while listening to this book and I was just like, mm, I am so desensitized because I have no issue with this. But then I would like... I would constantly be thinking of you guys and be like, oh, I, I hope that I just kept thinking like, oh, they're going to message me and be like, we can't read this. We'll have to like either do something else or I, I was just waiting for that message. <laughs> I, I honestly got through the book fairly quickly. I, again, I was able to turn my brain off because mm. I know there's probably people who will read it and think, oh, I'm going vegan now or I'm going vegetarian. How could anyone ever do this? Because I didn't see it in that way. I saw it as more of a humanist thing. Like, yeah, people can be very terrible. And I could see... It's funny. I like to see the... Wish to see the good in people. And, I mean, I've seen cruelty plenty of times before. But I think it's... Not gonna lie. If I had read this pre-pandemic, I'd be like, there's no way this could happen. Well, yes and no now. But okay, let me explain. I would think, no, there's no way they would legalize cannibalism. Nah, -uh, no way. Post-pandemic, where cruelty was upfront and obvious, I was like, you know what? Maybe people would. Honestly, this probably could happen. The only thing I would say that probably would never happen, animals becoming poisonous. Every, so, yes, every single animal, every single one out there becoming poisonous is probably the least likely thing that will ever happen. <laughs> I like that that's addressed, though, that it could be just a big government conspiracy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of more just like, it's just the, the setup. Like, you're, I don't think you're really meant to, like, dwell on that for too long. It's just because that's how they also, like, they'll question it. Like, oh, well, you actually believe that. The horrifying part isn't that, oh, maybe a virus could do this to us. It's more like that we would allow this to happen. Exactly. That we would transition into this kind of 
society. Yeah, it's, le- it's less the cause and more the... Um, the result. The result, yeah. Because mm-hmm. like I said, it could just be a, a conspiracy by governments and big meat. Because mm-hmm. like, like, we saw s- scenes where Marcos didn't care that he got close to those dogs. Where it's like, okay, well, if he doesn't believe, if there's people who, like, don't believe the virus is an actual thing, but they're still choosing to live within this construct of, of eating human flesh, what the fuck does well, that say about it? It feels us? like the opposite of COVID, because there's a lot of people out there who don't believe in COVID and think it's a hoax. But then, uh, so that that's another tricky thing, too. And it possibly could be a, a hoax, the whole thing about animals being poisonous. But then it, there's... I mean, people ju- are walking around outside with umbrellas because they're worried birds will shit on them. And kill them, yeah. But the interesting part is, um, and I think this was the more fascinating part to me, was when he visited all these pe- different places that were buying uh, his meat and just how horrible these people are. And also kind of eccentric, too. In a, in a terrible way, but like... They're all characters. Yeah. They are all absolute characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I like the parts, but at the same time, I felt like that was kind of a downfall, because it seems like only the worst people would buy these things. But I mean, like, there's people with the plant who are, like, genuine people, like Sergio. Yeah, that that's the part where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, like, Sergio is an actual real person. Or it feels like a real person. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, like, the people that we saw running these facilities, like the the, the doctor at the lab and, like, the guy at the tannery, who are kind of, like, exaggerations of, like, people that would be in these positions, mm-hmm. they weren't so much to be, like, yes, this is one person, one character. I think they were supposed to kind of, like, encompass the, the people as a whole, the, the mentality, you know, mm-hmm. that people would have to, to do these things. I think they were more supposed to encompass that, like, be a representation of that than than as actual characters is how I took them. No, absolutely. Unlike David, I, the one thing I did not see coming was him choosing to kill Jasmine until the last minute. Because, okay, I completely saw that he his focus was completely on the baby. I knew for a fact mm. his focus was completely on the baby. He probably saw her more as a pet than anything. But I didn't see him basically getting his wife and being like, okay, now we're going to be a family together. Because, I mean, he barely acknowledges his wife throughout the book i mean there's a couple of times but it's just like Mm -hmm. oh yeah hi it's almost like a chore for him initially it was like he kind of he wanted to like be able to talk to her but she wasn't ready and then when she started reaching back out to him he's kind of ghosting her because now he's got jasmine and the baby on the way and i don't think it was like he was planning that from the moment he realized like i don't think like him having sex with her was his in- what his intention was to get her pregnant and then keep the baby for him and his wife. I feel like it just kind of like in that moment, my wife is here. We have this baby. Oh my God, we can do this again. It was kind of like just, it just happened. Yeah. And I think David and I realized that's what was going to happen earlier on. Like the second she was pregnant, it was like, oh, this ain't going to end well for this girl. I-, I honestly just thought like he, she would eventually give birth to the baby, but he would be more focused on the baby than her and just continue to treat her like a pet. I didn't see, oh, he's going to kill her. Well, if he gets her out of the way, then no one has to know that any of that happened. That, I mean, mm-hmm. that it finally clicked when I saw... They're going to, I mean, there's a municipal slaughterhouse, for God's sakes. I, it clicked more. Yeah. It clicked more when I saw that um, he called his wife to come help. I was like, oh, oh. Because I, I figured he's like, okay, I'm going to need a mother or something for my child i i don't know i i i know he didn't really care for jasmine i know uh, but i thought i figured he saw her more as like a pet than well, anything i compared the way he reacts to her to the way that he's kind of relating his experience with her he keeps flashing back to his two dogs that he used to have yeah mm-hmm. now the thing is too uh, unfortunately because this was another thing that made me uncomfortable when i realized she was pregnant was and i had to shut my brain off i'm like i don't think it was consensual <laughs> How could she? Well, that's yeah. that's why I said uh, dubious consent at the start of my yeah. summary. There were two scenes with very dubious consent. Um, There's dubious consent all over this. I mean, look at yeah. what happens when he goes back and like he's like, I want to break Spanel, the butcher lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean that not that di- she not that she didn't like they had that became consensual. Before. That actually did no, it be- did become consensual. Like it, clearly, she wasn't expecting, but she did want it. So there's one yeah. who was like. Okay, this makes me feel a little better. Uh, but but then it, a lot of what he does is 
quote unquote dubious consent. Everybody's dubious though. I mean, yeah. keep in mind how often like they bring up situations where like, oh, a security guard got fired for um, enjoying the meat or whatever, you know? Mm. Uh, they, 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 they even like they have to come up with other words for it, enjoyment, like people who have head and then like, you know, engage in sexual activities with the head and the head of course can't consent. So it's like, and then of course there's all these people who's like, oh, you can't keep, you can't use them as slaves. Slavery is awful. And then like, I love, <laughs> the I love the hypocrisy that's all yeah. over the place in this mm-hmm. place. And like one of the few people who actually brings up the hypocrisies is uh, the, the Romanian like hunter guy, the guy who runs the hunting lodge. He doesn't care that it's hypocritical. He's just like, yeah, accept it for what it is. Humans are hypocritical. So, who wants this uh, uh, thigh meat on kimchi? <laughs> you don't know what kimchi is? You uncultured swine. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy that scene a little bit. <laughs> I, I think low-key doing the most dangerous game <laughs> was, yeah. was something kind of fun. There was a point when it's like, uh, when I saw there was a reference to the most dangerous game that I was like, I am not surprised. Mm-hmm. At all that this was referenced. Yeah. By the way, uh, Bringer and uh, Urkelbot666 both gave comments. Actually, uh, Urkelbot666 or Dan sent a full email because he, he told me, he's like, I have so many thoughts and I can't just consolidate them. <laughs> I Dan, have to- you're a champion. Thank you so much for the email. I'm so thrilled that uh, you guys read along with us and submitted your thoughts and submitted questions. We are here to read not just fun Halloween stories, but also to read some thought-provoking horror. Is it always fun? Maybe not. But I, I'm thrilled that we that we'd get there. People would share their thoughts on on our choices to of what we read. <laughs> yeah. Before I get into questions and all that, uh, I just wanted to bring that up because Bringer did say his favorite part was the kimchi scene. He did bring. It. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was legitimately probably the only part that made me kind of go ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> this is me speaking as someone who likes kimchi. The one thing I also wanted to bring up too is that Agustina Basterica is an Argentinian writer. And actually, this book was originally written in Spanish and then translated to English. It clearly takes place in Argentina, um, the story itself. I want to give uh, props to Sarah Mo- Moses, the translator, mm-hmm. too for you know adapting it to credit where credit is due. One thing, because uh, again, I read interviews by Agustina Basterica and she says, uh, she mentioned, like, in Argentina, meat is a very important part of their culture. Mm. A lot of their rituals and everything surrounds around meat. So it just shows how important it is. And it actually lends even more credence to this possibility happening. Say animals did become poisonous, they would not likely give up meat. If there was, like, some kind of meat shortage, maybe it's not animals are poisonous, but some kind of meat shortage, like, yeah, this... Because even in, like, Mexican culture, meat is such a huge part, like, huge, like, staple of, like, our, our like, traditional meals. Like, I think of pozole, which normally has, like, pork in it. And mm-hmm. just, uh, I've heard um, accounts of, like, uh, Hispanic people, like, Latinx people who uh, have chosen to go vegan or vegetarian. And just, like, the kind of, like, upset that creates within their family, where, like, the, the abuela or the mom is like, what the, what are you going to eat then when we all get together? You can't have tamales, you can't have pozole. It's just, like, like, I've heard stories of that. And so it was, for me, coming from, like, a Mexican family, and, like, it was, it was very interesting for me, because I could pick up on those notes of, like, culture. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed the book more. But, yeah. Um, uh, it's touched upon, actually, in the, uh, one of our other books we read uh cemetery boys because um mm-hmm. um i forget her name but uh one of the uh main characters is vegan and that actually creates some disrupt in the family as well like well what are you marisol, marisol thank you yeah. i don't want to say it's as important in american culture but there is i mean there's the tradition of barbecue when the summer you can't have your fourth of july celebration without some barbecue i mean i have a sister who is vegan and i remember growing up um i wasn't surprised that she would become vegetarian or vegan because as a kid she actually that was something she wanted to do was become vegetarian and she told my mom that and my mom actually said well, let me tell you why that's a bad idea. It's so pervasive in that culture, and especially she grew up in a small town. Everywhere you go or every event always included some sort of meat. Like, there's Christmas ham, 
turkey is served during Thanksgiving, 4th of July barbecues. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more prevalent in Latinx cultures. I think it's, it's we don't really think about it that much, but I think it's really ingrained into, into all cultures. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least the ones that I am the most familiar with, but uh, I, I think it is really, truly ingrained in there and it's in all, cul- all culture. We just don't think about it because it's so it's just part of our everyday yeah i'd say so too actually like it didn't it wouldn't surprise me that this is a global thing in the story you know oh, absolutely i mean we only get to see the perspective of you know this country but like you get little hints of it elsewhere mm-hmm. like at the party when they said oh the price of meat might be going down because india is finally starting to export yeah like if this something like this was going to happen it would happen sooner in more in more cut in certain countries than others yes absolutely and like i okay i don't want to get into like how poor uh, and narrow and like just how how poorly constructed like the food industry is within like especially like, the u.s where like we rely on only like 14 types of like produce when there's like countless others that we could be relying on like yep um mm-hmm. diversify your diet seriously grow grow your own vegetables well i don't know how to grow my own vegetables we don't have the space to grow our own vegetables which is also something that they try i mean to... you guys i've seen that tiny little space back there you get guys you guys some like little like like just baskets like laundry baskets you guys could grow potatoes back there at least i mean we totally could honestly i never thought about that i, I mean <laughs> we could talk to your um i mean my mom thankfully has space to has a little garden oh yeah stuff that's a, that's one great thing is that his mom has a garden in the back mm-hmm. and uh, we'll sometimes get uh, fresh produce from uh, her garden and this will include like cucumbers and um, I'm trying to remember what else we've had from there. Uh, it's usually a lot of cucumbers for sure. We get, uh, we get a lot of cucumbers too because my mom likes making juice for them. Okay, if, if readers take anything away from this book, it's that you should find ways to get your own food like grow your own food like i okay i may, might be taking a bit of a stretch here but just like we need more food. most people don't question where their food comes from yes it's, at the very least find out where your food comes from and they rely too much on the grocery store to have what they need you need the staples at home like just just learn how to grow potatoes in a bucket like you can do it it's very simple um anyway hi hi do i think our society is crashing and we all need to like start thinking about that yes okay anyway <laughs> that's one of the reasons this is depressing because I, I you know i use books to escape and this is a reminder hey society is collapsing uh we're eco we are on a ecological midnight clock um mm. and everything fucking sucks and uh Rather than look at the positives of people trying to change it, it's just, this is like one of those reminders of, well, it won't change because big government will find a way to legitimate legitimize cannibalism rather than actually make anything better. Mm. Um, so yeah, I wasn't in a very good headspace when I read this. So uh, that, that contributes to it too. I am so sorry. Again, you have to be in the right mood for it or have the right type of personality for it. Also, they kill puppies in this. And uh, yeah. I hate- when we got to that, I was like, okay, everything else, like the slaughter of all the humans, the dubious consent. I was like, okay, they might they might be okay. They might not hate me for choosing this book. But then we got to the puppies and I was just like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> No, I'm so I. Oh, sorry. I I had to shut my brain off during that part, and I was like, "This is the worst part ever." And I skimmed so quickly during that. Yeah, same. It was a terrible scene. It was it was sucked. So uh, yeah, I finished the book before David started reading it. I immediately went to him. I'm like, David, I have to warn you because you need to shut your brain off or skim because this is what's going to happen, and I know mm-hmm. I don't want you to be blindsided by this because I didn't want to spoil it too much. But I knew I had to tell him about puppies dying because it comes out. Of no- well, I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, but I just I don't want it to happen. I don't like it. It's such a horrible scene. Yeah, no one ever likes it when when the puppies, when any animal dies. It sucks. When I when when I was I want to clarify when I said it it sucked. I wasn't saying that the scene was like a bad scene. No, it, it it's was not. Very well done because we belted viscerally. It just sucked to experience it. It went there. Hey, can we go to... Um, I figure if there's more to discuss, we could probably base it on our uh, the questions. Absolutely. Actually, it's a, I got a long email from Dan, so let me actually get to that. Dear Darkly Lit Crew, here are some thoughts and questions I had regarding this month's book. It's kind of a lot, so please feel free to trim and omit whatever you wish for the sake of brevity. Hell no, I'm reading the whole damn thing. <laughs> 
I had a little trouble with the presentation of the characters, especially as the story progressed. It starts with skeevy assholes and moves on to more skeevy assholes. The longer the story went, the less interested I felt about long-suffering and virtuous Marcos and how he is unfairly forced to interact with an array of vapid narcissists and legitimate sociopaths. In light of the ending, I don't know if this was by design. I personally would have preferred a more mundane, subtle approach to this society. Especially toward the end, we meet the scientist who is more or less just torturing heads. I felt that this pushed the already strong message of humans equal bad a little too hard. And I think I was with them with that. Like, there's a lot of, I mean, I honestly saw a lot of bad in Marcos. I didn't think he was fucking virtuous at all. Same. Uh, I didn't either. I saw him as a very flawed character. I saw him, like, again, some of the stuff I said he, dubious consent and the che- the fact he's cheating on his wife, technically, and mm-hmm. just his kind of treatment towards people in general is just, he, he's not a very nice person. Mm-hmm. No, he, I mean, I didn't take him as a, as a good person or really a bad person, though. He's just a, someone who has chosen to live with the circumstances given to him. Like, there's the whole fact that he, he, until he's at the reserve, doesn't eat any special meat. He's, like, chosen not to eat it anymore. Mm-hmm. But even then, he's still doing the work that he does willingly he's yes. choosing to live this life and that doesn't just because he doesn't eat special meat does not make him a good person and just in like but he and he justifies by like i'm the one helping my long-suffering father mm-hmm. through you know live in this home where he can at least not be i can protect him and make sure he's not sold his meat when he dies mm-hmm. but it doesn't he, he i think he sees himself as low-key virtuous for that reason but doesn't like you know but i don't think us as readers are meant to see him as virtuous no i think he thinks he is i think he thinks very highly of himself but i i I never thought that but i do agree with dan in the way that i I feel like some of these kind of became over the top villains yeah i do feel like when we got to that medical lab and we were introduced into to this doctor uh, I feel okay. I felt like okay now. Now it felt it did feel much like okay. This this woman is just pure evil, like comic book villain, like just, just standard villain. Um, but I think at that point we were kind of maybe supposed to be annoyed with it because we're to kind of put us in that same mindset where like, cause Marcos was just like, I'm fed up with this. I cannot take these people anymore. So I think that's why we are seeing this like a- another exaggeration of this type of person because we want we we also as readers should be fed up with it yeah and and i get that i still think they're just a all of them are a bit too over the top occasionally mm-hmm. I, not I, in one sense it's very entertaining to me because when i read people who are over the top it's it's kind of humorous and it's, or it's just kind of like wow this is <laughs> they're kind of ridiculous and that's kind of humorous to me and it, it actually did as, as sad as it sounded, it sort of lightened the mood. But it shouldn't do that. Like, just because they're over ridiculousness over something dark shouldn't lighten a mood, necessarily. But And occasionally, sometimes it didn't. And sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, these people are somewhat believable. But there were times where I was just like, these, these could easily be Batman villains. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as I continue more with this email, even though the main focus is the story that happens in the world of normalized cannibalism, I struggle to keep from concentrating on how it got to the point so fast and how the mechanics of the virus would have worked. I know that wasn't the point, but my mind kept wandering. Also, I guess insect protein and fish are also effective. Everyone in this book is looking for any excuse to eat humans. Uh, So uh, both Bringer and Dan actually asked this sort of question. Uh, Dan says, do you think the virus was real? And then Bringer actually asked, do you think the animals being poisonous is real or possibly exaggerated? Would the oceans be off limits? Would the virus be in the water? Why is vegetarian seen as a bad thing? Also, why hasn't eating insects been looked into? Are all animals poisonous, including insects? It's a hoax. It's a hoax. (laughs) I think definitely, like we said before the the fact whether this this virus is real or not and how it works would we're not really meant to focus on some readers will because i i'm i also i I sometimes nitpick at at details like i want to know how this works or if i'm writing something myself i will describe too much of how something works or just even like when it comes to layout of the room i need to know everything i think in this sense we're not really supposed to 
dwell on it. Some of us will. That's just yes. that's just natural. I don't think we're supposed to dwell on it. We're just supposed to like take it for what it is and and you know question it. Like just okay, was it real or not? I think the focus is again, like we said, the result of what happened because we took the society took this transition. And I I feel like I vaguely remember hearing like insects being mentioned as a protein source or maybe that was just something I was thinking of but I I right now I am with the impression from the book that yes insects is an option like a source of protein is it's an option there but it's not a popular one um I think the takeaway is that he, uh, just transitioning to human meat was easier and it was easier, more easily acceptable than protein from insects. They don't really mention fish, I don't think. I don't think they mention fish at all as an option. So I guess the assumption is just like, yeah, okay, we can't eat fish either. Maybe maybe the virus wasn't the animals. Well, like, okay, no, that's just me speculating on how the virus works, where it's like, actually, everyone's already infected. Well, I would say the fact that you're, you're like, some people will dwell on it and some people won't, it puts us very much in the same shoes as the, as normal people in this world. Because they're like, just like, oh, the government says this. Mm-hmm. And the government says that. And do you just go along with it or not? Yeah. Do you just go along with it? Because they yeah. said, oh, well, it's that's the way it is now. We don't know all the specifics. And even like it gets brought up a couple times, even when the lab, when a Marcos looks in that thing and he sees that there's some animals in there, it's like, oh, are you trying to develop a cure? And it's not really touched on because it's like, how come no one can develop a cure? And it's like, you know, there's there, there gives you that idea that if you think about it too much, it kind of gets weird and flimsy, but everybody just, most people just kind of blindly accept it and just mm-hmm. go like, well, I guess meets the norm now. And yeah, the speed of the transition is still something that kind of I, I think about. I mean, I got the impression that it was maybe a few, like a couple decades at least, that the transition took. Long enough, they started mass producing these humans that are, or artificially inseminating humans, because they have ones that are genetically modified to grow faster. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think how long it would have taken for a whole gener- whole generations of different humans to be born and not be essentially lack so much of what makes humans human you know yeah i mean there's definitely a lot of unanswered like details that are missing that i don't know there's this theme of like hey don't question it just go along with what everyone else is doing exactly and and then that way if it is a hoax staged by the government that's what they want that's why it's a dystopian novel yeah go along with the transition don't question it it's just easier to just go with what the norm is now it's interesting that even what could be possible plot holes actually works in the favor of this novel. That's how strong the writing is. I love Marcus seemingly falling for a head. I would have enjoyed getting more into how a person would feel about that. The inner struggles and the shame and pulling away from the society and essentially fucking your livestock. I'd have liked a longer story with more time spent on personal aspects of that. However, based on how the novel ended, it was better to keep it short. Yeah, I I don't think he fell in love with his head. I don't either. It was more of just his wife had been gone for a long time and it was an easy place to get companionship, especially once he realized that she was pregnant with his child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know I've been very critical, but I really did enjoy the story, especially seen as a series of vignettes. The set of chapters about Marcos interviewing the two applicants and touring the plant was so fucking good and would have, would be a wonderful self-contained short story. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If that was, like, taken out, yeah, actually. That was the most effective part of the book for me, like I said. Because it was it was what caused that unconscious uh, switch flip in my head to the whole thing. And despite being a translation, I thought a lot of great prose came through. Just one aside, I thought Special Meat was a dumb name for the product, but then I realized it probably originally would have been something like Carne Especial which sounds simultaneously more appealing and more insidious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, especial. I, I, sorry for butchering the Spanish language with my No, that was good. That was good. Uh, thanks for choosing this one. I thought it was a pretty tasty treat. Oh, man. God oh, well, damn I'm it, glad. <laughs> I'm glad you got some enjoyment out of it. <laughs> so he has a, a couple questions, too. Um, what did the ending mean to you? Do you feel like it worked well? Yes. 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 Also, yes. Yeah, no, I was satisfied with the ending. I did figure it out, like, the second the Jasmine was pregnant. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's where we're going to end, and I hope it'll be kind of a happy ending. 
Yeah, no, I, I was satisfied with it. it. It made sense to me. Yeah, I think it made sense to me too. It, it is what it was expected of Marco's character. It was like bittersweet and tragic, mm-hmm. but also maybe like the best thing you could have hoped for. Yeah, I didn't expect this book to have a happy ending, but it is a very fitting ending for everything that has happened so far. Another question he had... What did you feel was being implied by the stone in Marco's chest? I was wondering if it represented his compassion slash humanity, since it as it shatters, he becomes more like all the other one-note meat craze characters in the story, deciding to poison the scavengers and kill Jasmine after he get what he wants from her. Yeah, it could it could have been in a sense like what was left of his like humanity, in that it was like just becoming so much of an uncomfortable burden inside of him that when he finally like lets it break when it finally breaks down he's the bad person just like everybody else mm-hmm. i think that actually that's a very good translation about the stone in his chest because that does keep getting brought up quite a bit mm-hmm. he keeps referencing what's in his chest as a stone mm-hmm. like this isn't just like oh he mentions it once no it gets mentioned multiple times and i Actually, the idea of it being his compassion slash humanity is a very good comparison. There, I also have um, one question with uh, Bringer, or he he also brought a comment as well. What is the deal with curfew? I think that made sense because in this setting, there's a huge black market mm-hmm. for. It, I mean, again, if mm-hmm. cannibalism is legal, then human life is a lot cheaper, mm-hmm. especially if not as many people are going to ask questions. So there's a curfew, so less people will be abducted mm-hmm. out on the street. Mm-hmm. I think another reason for the curfew is because, I mean, this is also the same society where people have to carry umbrellas because they're afraid that bird shit is going to poison them. There's still animals out there. I mean, he runs into dogs Mm -hmm. that try to attack him. Um, It's not like every animal has been killed. So there is that um, possibility that if they're wandering alone at dark, they could be attacked by an animal. Mm. It could be a safety thing as well. That's true. But I think it's mostly for, like, they even talk about, like, how oh, we can't even travel in a hearse because people see a hearse like, oh, there's a fresh corpse in there and they'll break in and try and steal it or, you know, like... I think it's more of less people being abducted and sold on the black market because we've heard multiple times, oh, the best meat has a first and last name. Not to mention scavengers. The scavengers with the capital S exist Mm -hmm. and they're... If anything, the scavengers are the are the people in this story I trust the most because at least you know what they want and they're just going to take it. They remind me a little bit of the Reavers from uh, Firefly. Yeah mm-hmm also uh he commented i find it weird that hunting real humans for sport to pay off debts is allowed i don't think it's allowed because I, I don't think it's ever made legal i just th- think they don't care i mean that character basically does whatever he wants it's just a okay whatever it's a rich person thing yes also found it weird that you can't use livestock to have a child or run a sweatshop but it's perfectly legal to keep one in your house and eat it part by part again hypocrisy yeah yeah that's the whole idea that's what's amazing about this book is like the hypocrisy is rampant as all get out Uh and it's really just a reflection of the the actual hypocrisy that we live with oh yeah capitalism Uh, i'm sorry (laughs) fuck you (laughs) (laughs) that's uh all the questions that we have uh i guess to sum up all my feelings with this very well written book has a very powerful message similarly to schindler's list i probably will never consume this media ever again <laughs> and yes i used consume intentionally you goof thank you <laughs> i think likewise i wouldn't read this again i don't regret reading it um it was an entertaining read for me i liked it i enjoyed it i wouldn't read it again i don't need to I, most of all, just feel bad for making you guys read it, especially David. No, it is good. It's it's fine because, you know, like, do I regret reading it? No. But I think the the best thing I can take away from it is that um, now I don't feel like I have to read it anymore and I can go on with my life. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Don't don't feel bad, though. Honestly. Don't feel bad. It's all good. I was able to finish the story fairly quickly. It's kind of similarly to some other works that I'm like, oh, this is so good. I'm never watching this again. Schindler's List, (laughs) I am never watching it ever again. Is it a good movie? Absolutely. But boy, is it heavy and I never want to watch it again. Mm. And look, everything is told about of in such an aloof way that it almost takes away some of the, it both adds and subtracts from like the way that I saw it. Nothing is described in like excruciating, gory detail. 
when they brought up eyeball liqueur, no one talks about popping an eyeball in their mouth and eating it, you know? <laughs> Which is where I would be like, nah, nah. I mean, overall, it's it's a heavy book. Subject-wise, it's a mm-hmm. heavy, it's heavy book. And, and also d- dead puppies, so I'm, yeah. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. Always, always a pass. Humans die, whatever. Puppies, puppies die. (laughs) We'll always pass on the dead puppies. So, even me. Put this book on the list. If someone ever asked you, does a dog die in um, Tender is the Flesh? Yes. Hell yes. Don't read it. Yeah. There is a site for that. I think it's just called Does the Dog Die? And like it yeah. lists everything where it, where the dogs die. That's exactly, exactly right. Put this book on there, please. <laughs> now that we finished that book, uh, we now go into December. The last book of the month, or in this case, short story, because boy, do I need something a little shorter to get. <laughs> I need something a little more easy to consume, something a bit more familiar. Basically, just Googling horror short stories, I was surprised to come across this amazing, beautiful short story. So our next uh, work that we will be reading is called Lacrimosa by uh, Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Hey, yes. you recognize that name? We are reading a short story by the woman who wrote Mexican Gothic. Ooh. I am so excited. Me too. And it's about La Llorona. I am so excited. Oh, man. Y'all know I love a good ghost story. This will be a nice pick-me-up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I like that we're talking. It's like a Christmas gift to ourselves. Yay. <laughs> I love the fact that we're talking about like, oh, this will be a nice pick me up. You know, a story about a woman who drowns her children. <laughs> but it's something I'm familiar with. Yeah. It's, it's a that ghost story that we're all fond of. So, yes. Hey, Christmas is all about telling ghost stories, right? Yes. Yeah. Right? Perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Let's do this. All right. Thank you all for listening to this. If you enjoy what you hear, check out other stuff on uh, the Creative Horror Network at creativehorror.com or check us out on YouTube. We're actually putting up our um, darkly lit backlog up on there. Um, Hopefully we'll eventually get it complete, most likely by the end of next year. Hopefully. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Also, since this short story is available online, we'll be able to link it in our show notes and we'll send it out on Twitter too. Yes. Um, Luckily, this is available to read uh, online. You do not have to buy the book. It is easily readable. And I did that intentionally because I, if we're going to read a short story, I want it to be some easy access. Yeah. Exactly. Join us. It's a very quick read. Apparently David already read it. (laughs) Yeah, I already read it. I'll read it again. (laughs) he finished this short story before he even finished the book yeah fuck that I'd rather read this (laughs) (laughs) I guess um, we turn off the candles our what do you turn off the candles what the fuck am I saying they're all electric candles because you know it's it's the future where you know cannibalism is legal and you can barely edit people out of pictures at your dad's funeral when you're at the zoo and put yourself in them as is the case. But uh, that being said, hey, if you enjoy uh, human butt meat, does that make you a butt munch? <laughs> Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of creativehorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. <laughs>